The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Supporters of the former President Jair Bolsonaro have stormed into various government buildings in that country's capital. It looks like a replay of January 6th, uh, this time in Brazil. I mean, you just have to look at the scenes on our, on our screens right now. And we've been playing some of these screens earlier, or some of these images earlier today. One of these pro-Bolsonaro supporters was sitting at a desk inside uh, the capital uh, in uh, Brasilia in Brazil, and it looked like a scene right out of January 6th. Brazil is on the brink, like so many other nations around the world, and uh, we probably haven't uh, focused enough on this since the election. I think it was two or three months ago, but they've had millions of people protesting since that time, and of course it led up to this over the weekend. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience, you can get to this show, of course, the live video stream at our website. That's at thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live. You'll have to get used to my new appearance, just as I will, because I'm looking at myself in the monitor there. Actually, I'm paying tribute to John Bolton, who announced recently that he's running for president of the United States. John Bolton, John Bolton's mustache, actually, should run for president. Uh, in all seriousness, there's lots to get to on today's show, and uh, I just thought enough at, at the request of a few of our local uh, viewers to carry a little extra. <laughs> there he is, the coup d'etat master. He brags about coups that he's orchestrated around the world. What a world we're living in. This is uh, from the New York Times, by the way. Bolsonaro supporters lay siege to Brazil's capital. I mean, it, there are some similarities to January 6th. I don't know if there's, uh, if there's people embedded into the protests inciting it. But uh, just looking at the media's reaction, and then this from the New York Times, backers of, of former President Bolsonaro ransacked government offices denouncing what they falsely claim was a rigged election. So the New York Times just knows, just like with January 6th, they know there's no evidence. The false claim, how do they know? Has the New York Times ever conducted an investigation into the Brazil election? We had an article on it. I think it was back in, uh, in uh, November. Was the election stolen in Brazil? I mean, Bolsonaro thinks so. And, uh, you know, you've got the, the Marxist in uh, Lula. I think his name's Lula. He's there. He's a convicted felon. The, the judicial branch, Brazil's Supreme Court, let him out of prison so that he could run against Bolsonaro. I mean, you can't make this up. Now, a lot of the, the commentary that we've had on it over the years, or at least Latin America, is this trade alliance that's going to form between Europe and Latin America that's going to squeeze out the United States. But that said, I mean, look at the spread of Marxism. <laughs> They're going the way of Venezuela. This is what the, the radicals in the Democrat Party want for the United States. It's like a, a cancer 
just spreads over, and it's failed after one failure after another failure after another failure. I mean, from a prophetic standpoint, again, we're going to be looking for that alliance, that trade alliance between Latin America and and Europe, but to, to listen to these commentators, even at the, the top of the, the hour, the news role that we play for our radio station, tying this to Trump, here we go again, there's a problem in the world, even beyond the shores of America, and of course, it's Trump. Trump is the problem. Listen to Jim Shuto over at uh, CNN, clip two. You know, we used to talk about, uh, and, and many folks still imagine this, and perhaps it's true to some extent, the, the U.S. exports democracy. But as you watch this and how it was seeded by the losing candidate in that election who had a lot of rapport, one might say, with Donald Trump, is election denialism a new U.S. export? The U.S. is exporting election denialism now, says the, says the CNN commentator. It's all Trump's fault. January 6th. <laughs> they, they know their election was rigged and stolen, but when you look at these commentators, I mean, it's all narrative, as we've covered so many times on this show. It's all about establishing the false narrative. That's it. That's it. They've got their, I mean, they've got their worldview, and they're not going to deviate from it one bit. They're in lockstep as they await to, you know, develop all of their talking points. I mean, even the media has been ignoring. We, we could give it more coverage ourselves, but the media has pretty much been, uh, they've been ignoring the fact that millions of protesters have taken to the streets as soon as the election ended back in November. They just ignore these, these protests, and they, they rush to the defense of the communists, always. There's no evidence, no evidence of any kind of election rigging. And in fact, to even suggest that the election was rigged, that's an, that's an American export now. We're exporting election denialism. Richard, in the morning brief today, he talked about, the again, and we touched on this last week, just this gulf between reality and what they're reporting. He writes, it, it felt... It felt odd watching the media coverage of the House Speaker race in America. We'll get to this in just a moment as, as well with lots of clips. Lots of rounds of voting, an intransigent minority blocking the election of a figure they dislike. They are all normal parts of politics. It even happens when the Catholic Church elects the new pope. It says somehow the media wanted to portray this as the end of American democracy. Oh, but this is a disaster. Leslie Stahl said it's an embarrassment for the nation. The fact that, that politicians would deliberate for a few days, four days as it turned out. Okay, 15 votes, the most in 100 and whatever years. But still, it was a relatively clean process, except for that one guy that had to be held back. who's going to attack Matt Gates. And McCarthy ends up getting through that late night vote. It was actually, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. But just coming back to the point about the narrative, somehow the media wanted to portray this as the end of American democracy. The disconnect between reality and what they report is getting wider. The media are attempting to create their own reality. I mean, this is serious. John 8 and verse 44 says that Satan the devil is the father of lies. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. 
And that verse says there's no truth in him. None. None whatsoever. You're not going to get to the truth in a world ruled by the devil. And so you have all of these false narratives, and they're so damaging. I mean, nations are falling. Nations. I mean, the, the age of protest. What was that? January 2019, I think it was. The, the trumpet cover is right before the COVID hysteria. The age of protest. That's what we're seeing. All of this discontent. It's building. It's building toward an explosion of violence worldwide. That's what's coming. That's what Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24. Great tribulation. Tucker Carlson had a brilliant uh, monologue. I don't know if it was his first segment on Friday night's show, but I saw it yesterday. And he was taught, it, it was January 6th, Friday. So he was talking about the January 6th narrative about Ashley Babbitt, quite a few things in, uh, in that monologue. Listen to just a bit of it, clip nine. Two years ago today, a Capitol Hill police officer called Michael Byrd shot an unarmed woman in the neck. At the time of that killing, Byrd had a documented history of gross negligence with a firearm. He left a loaded Glock pistol in a public men's room at the Capitol, which for a law enforcement official is a firing offense. But for some reason, Michael Byrd was still in the force that day. The woman he killed was called Ashley Babbitt. Babbitt was a married 14-year veteran of the U.S. military. She ran a pool cleaning company with her husband in San Diego. Physically, she was tiny. She was also unarmed. Michael Byrd later admitted he had no indication at all that Babbitt was carrying a weapon. She posed no visible threat. He killed her anyway. Under normal circumstances, Byrd would have been fired immediately and charged with murder, which he clearly committed. But that's not what happened. After doing essentially no investigation into the shooting, Nancy Pelosi's congressional police force declared Byrd a national hero, and the media strongly agreed. Byrd went on television to accept accolades and to complain about racism. He was never punished for killing Ashley Babbitt. He was rewarded for it. Ashley Babbitt's mother, meanwhile, got a very different sort of treatment. Babbitt's mother was arrested today in Washington by the Capitol Police. Her crime? Trying to hold a memorial service for her daughter. Two years later, it's clear that Ashley Babbitt is, her death is by far the most significant thing that happened at the U.S. Capitol building that day. But at the same time, it is the least talked about event of January 6th. The most significant thing to happen on January 6th, and the talking heads, these propagandists, they ignore it. They never mention her name. And then the Capitol Hill police, as he just mentioned there, they arrest the mother. So Michael Byrd shoots the daughter in the neck and kills her two years ago. And then the mother comes to, I don't know if it was a protest or just to basically to remember her daughter. She's arrested. She's arrested. How divorced is reality from what they report, from what they, they establish as a narrative? Tucker went on to say in clip 10. On the basis of a wholly created myth about what happened that day, the Biden Pentagon conducted an unprecedented political purge of the entire U.S. military. The FBI and various intel agencies increased their control over the American media. And most obviously, the DOJ has been allowed to prosecute and jail hundreds of nonviolent political protesters whose crime was having the wrong opinions. Lies about January 6th, which have been re relentless, 
have enabled some of the most unscrupulous people in our country to make a mockery of our Bill of Rights and to steal our core freedoms. So they can't talk about Ashley Babbitt. Talking about Ashley Babbitt makes it very clear who the real culprits are and who the real threats to this country continue to be. And they're not the January 6th protesters. So they just ignore it. They have to, as he brought out Friday night. They have to ignore the single most important fact of that day. The, the only, and there were others, there, there were other Trump supporters, beaten, hit with flashbangs, that sort of thing. I forget, Boyle is maybe the name of one victim. But obviously, shot in the neck in the halls of Congress, shot in cold blood, unarmed. But you see, you see as it plays out, as it has through the January 6th committee, all the DOJ arrests, you see who they're aiming for here. They're going after Donald Trump and his supporters. When, when the New York Times comes out and says that they're protesting in Brazil, with no evidence of any kind of election interference. That's probably your first indication that, that it was rigged. Absolutely it was rigged. Just like it was here in 2020. Play this from Tucker, clip 11. As a result of the events on January 6th, the lives of five heroic officers were lost. Five heroic officers were lost, he said. It's almost impossible to believe that adults could stand behind him as he said that, because everyone in the picture you just saw knows that is not true. It's not a stilted interpretation of events. It's a flat-out lie. No police officers were killed on January 6th, period. Ashley Babbitt was killed on January 6th. But chances are your grandchildren will not know that, because history will likely record the lie you just heard as true simply because it's been repeated so often. Everyone in authority has said the same thing in unison for two solid years. As our thoroughly dishonest attorney general recently put it, quote, we will never forget the five officers who responded selflessly on January 6th and who have, and who have since lost their lives. These people, that, that uh, <coughs> speech by Jeffries, he's the minority leader in the House, that was Friday. So, and then, of course, late that night was when they finally decided on Kevin McCarthy to be the House Speaker. But you think about how contentious it was there after the 14th vote. The, I think Mike Rogers is the one that went after Gates and said, you're finished. And then all leading up to that, they were calling these conservatives terrorists. They were calling them insurrectionists. Republicans were. Republic, and think about, again, how that this has exposed all of the talking heads, even at Fox who were practically demanding that those 20, those 20 Republicans who demanded change from Kevin McCarthy and from the House Republicans, the caucus, the conference, they demanded that they just immediately throw their support with Kevin McCarthy. And when you think about some of the concessions that those hardliners got in return, I mean, what do, what's going through the heads of some of these commentators like Mark Levin and Hannity, all of them? Tucker was maybe at least a little more fair and balanced regarding the, the 20 hardliners, I mean. But you can't get to the truth. And, and to go after Matt Gates in a way that you would never go after Hakeem Jeffries, Nancy Pelosi, certainly not the dear leader Barack Obama, Where's Mike Rogers when you see the other side of the aisle destroying the country? 
Where's some of I've talked a lot about this on these shows. Where's some of that courage, that willingness to fight? Some of these politicians, they just fight the ones that are closest to the Constitution and conservatism. And we saw it to some degree even on Friday night. Again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but play a, play a bit more from Tucker's monologue on Friday, clip 12. They've been doing this, telling these same lies since the very first day, January 6th, 2021. Almost like it was a coordinated operation. Remember when they told you that Brian Sicknick, Officer Brian Sicknick, was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher? That's not true. And in the end, thanks to the medical examiner in the District of Columbia, we learned the fact, which is that Brian Sicknick died of a stroke well after the January 6th protests. He was not beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. But that did not stop their lying or even slow them down. Joe Biden just awarded one of this country's highest civilian honors, the Presidential Citizens Medal, to officers working on January 6th, and that would include the officers who opened the doors of the Capitol building to the so-called insurrectionists, the officers who let them inside and then were rewarded for it by the President of the United States. What's going on here, you may wonder? Well, don't ask. You're not allowed to know what's going on here. What is going on? It's a good question. He goes on and talks about the pipe bomber from January 6th, the the other I guess the other investigation that was quickly covered up put as many Trump supporters that were there in prison if you can but as far as this pipe bomb uh, just forget about it don't release all the footage cover it up and then of course how can you have a segment like that with not bringing up Ray uh, Ray Epps the one who said I he testified yeah I orchestrated it the protest the riots whatever you want to call them Ray Epps orchestrated it, and somehow he didn't get indicted. He didn't get arrested. He's not in jail. And then, as Tucker explained, if you go back and look at the transcript of the, of the uh, investigation or the interview, I guess, with Ray Epps, you have these Congress people on that, that sham of a committee just coaching him along and, and defending him, really, defending him. You're not going to get the truth. You're not supposed to ask certain questions. Certain, certain victims, you just don't bring them up. Just take our, it's pure and simple. It's will worship. Look, we will tell you what you're supposed to think about Brazil. We know everything. That's the spirit. A worship of the will. Listen to Leslie Stahl as she, I mentioned her, her, what she said earlier. But listen to how she frames the events of last week that transpired in the House of Representatives. Clip three. The historic chaos in the House of Representatives this past week embarrassed not only a party, but an entire nation. A small minority blocked the House from electing a leader or even swearing in its own members. Vote after vote, a would-be speaker could not bring himself to stand aside in favor of a colleague. Wow, what a, what a snooze fest of a segment that must have been. I nearly fell asleep just listening to that little bit. The whole nation? The whole nation? We're, we're just all embarrassed? Democracy's breaking down all around us? It's like Richard said in the morning brief. What a difference there is between reality and what some of these people report what are they supposed to do? Is it just a rubber stamp? And you just let McCarthy have the same powers that Nancy Pelosi had? I mean, she, she basically ran Congress like the queen. She, she, she ran it almost like a tyrant. 
these House reps didn't even have any say, pretty much. It was just, like I said last week, it was just all these backroom deals put together by Pelosi's committee. And then Pelosi, she was so powerful that she basically, she put together the January 6th committee. And she told Republicans, you can't even be on this committee. We don't, we're not interested in both sides. Look, we've, got, we've just got one narrative here. And then they're out on the steps of the Capitol on Friday, on Friday, saying five police officers were killed because of January 6th. No police officers were killed. Even Sicknick died of natural causes the next day, the day after, January 7. So these 20, they hold their ground. It was quite the spectacle. But again, it was all done according to the rules of the House. They, they were exercising their constitutional right, these 20 that said, look, we've had enough. We don't want any more of these omnibus spending bills that, that we have no say in. We don't want everything lumped together in one massive piece of legislation. And we can't have any say on some of the, the earmarks, all the pork barrel spending that goes into these, these bills. So they drew a line in the sand. And then they were working. They were negotiating, in particular, Thursday night on through to Friday morning. We touched on some of this on Friday's show, but we didn't know how it all ended. But then it came down to, I guess, after the 12th or 13th vote, it came down to these six, and then the funniest part of it all was when they, uh, they thought, McCarthy thought he had the votes, and it came down to just being one vote shy, even after Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert had said that, you know, we'll just vote present so you have the, you know, the averages in your favor, favor. Well, somebody miscalculated because the four that voted against McCarthy and then the two that voted present, uh, basically made it end in a tie, and he needed one more vote. And so then <laughs> the tempers flared. Then you had the, the one rep threatening Gates. And they finally did. All six of them voted present, and then McCarthy got through. I think it was in the early hours of Saturday morning by the time it all uh, finished. But listen to, again, you could, I mean, I was certainly right on board with Gates and company going in for the jugular, you know, demanding all the changes and getting rid of the rhino at the top. But, you know, there's a lot to this story. Donald Trump was involved. I'll get to that in a second. And there were, as I said Friday, there were quite a few concessions. So there's, there's quite a few conservatives that see it as a pretty big victory, some of the changes that just 20 people brought on, 20 people, and then down to six. Listen to Lauren Boebert. She was one of the strongest of the hardliners, clip four. History will show our resolve changed how Congress operates, that we stood up to the swamp and said enough is enough, that we seized the opportunity to return the power to the people. We are changing the way business is done in D.C. because we stood strong and held our ground. We will now have the opportunity to vote on term limits. Because we stood strong, we will vote on border security. Because we stood strong, we won't be forced to vote on thousand-page bills in the dead of night without having time to read them. Instead, we'll tackle appropriations through our committees. We will be able to offer amendments. There will be transparency so everyone has an opportunity to have their voices heard. Earmarks will be voted on their merit, not passed out as candy to gain votes. Legislation will be on single subjects, not filled with unrelated garbage. Our success this week is truly a win for everyone who believes in representative government. 
I touched on this last week, but again, I think it's, I think it's pretty amazing when you think about the, the red wave that wasn't, and you go back to the narrative again. There's a, there's a vast difference between the narrative and what's actually happening, facts, reality. But they were all there, ready with the talking points. Oh, no red wave. It's all Trump's fault. And then you fast forward to these deliberations, these proceedings. And really, because they have a slimmer majority in the House, it's really given the conservative wing more power. Because McCarthy, again, some have said he can't be trusted, and he really can't be. But still, he's, if he's going to get anything done, with working with a slim majority in the House, he's going to have to have support from these 20, from the Freedom Caucus. And several are now acknowledging this. And then you have Donald Trump, who was supposed to be finished, right? He was finished because no red wave. And McCarthy actually thanked Donald Trump publicly after that 15th vote secured his position as House Speaker. This is what Axios had to say about some of the concessions made uh, by McCarthy's camp there at the end. It includes a rule that says any move to raise the debt ceiling must also be accompanied by spending cuts. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good conservative concession, don't you think? Or a concession to the conservatives? Doesn't that make... So much of this is just common sense. It's like a return not to the, the ancient days of the, you know, the start of the republic when they were wrangling over how to draw up the founding documents. It's basically a return to 2018. A return to pre-Pelosi years. Where she just took over and ham- changed the rules and hammered her legislation through. The rules package included a resolution establishing a House Select Committee on the weaponization of the federal government. You've got you've to establish a committee looking into these weaponized agencies. Just, uh, I think, of the headline today was that Jim Jordan's going to operate or, or chair that, that particular committee. Jim Jordan, he's from the Freedom Caucus. That's a pretty big victory for the conservatives says McCarthy also agreed to vote individually on 12 different appropriation bills rather than one omnibus spending bill. So now the House gets to look at each item rather than have everything stuffed into a bill that you don't have time to go through anyway. How about this one? It also gives lawmakers 72 hours to review bills before they come to the House floor. That, that seems to make sense, particularly when they're 4,000 pages. But hopefully now the bills will be smaller and then three days to go through it. So imagine that lawmakers actually looking through the laws to make sure, to make sure they understand it so they know which way to vote. Who can forget Pelosi years ago? We need to pass the legislation so we can see what's in it. Can you believe someone actually, a lawmaker in Congress would say something that revealing? revealing their their complete and total ignorance of what they're there to do in the first place. It's not about legislating. It's not about even making laws. It hasn't been in so many ways these past many years. It's just been about the narrative, the agenda. The final one here, it says, the rules package also includes votes on bills relating to key sticking points for conservative lawmakers, and then added to that, of course, you've got the, uh, the motion to vacate. Just one person now in, in the House can come forward and basically say, I want to have a vote on whether or not you should stay as Speaker. 
I mean, th there have been some commentators that have said this, this pretty much reduces the role of House Speaker to more of a ceremonial position, and it empowers the representatives, and by empowering them, it empowers the American people. Listen to, this is Matt Gates. He was uh, on with, I think, Fox yesterday, responding to, you know, hey, what do you, what do you have to say about how this concluded, clip six? So is it worth it all going 15 rounds to elect a speaker? Absolutely. We got concessions that really were being rejected as early as Monday when it comes to being able to read legislation 72 hours before its adoption, individual appropriations bills, mm -hmm. and ultimately what we negotiated ensures that we will never again have a circumstance like this omnibus spending legislation because bills will have to comport to a single subject. There will be germanity requirements on amendments, and so it's going to be an open process, a transparent process. I'm thrilled at where the House of Representatives is today. And again, some would say he should have followed through and gone all the way and got rid of McCarthy as well. But the fact remains, there's some pretty good concessions there. And as I say, it, uh, it just strengthens the position of so many of these reps that just haven't really had any power and haven't even taken an interest in acquiring power so that they can do their jobs. Listen to even NBC chiming in on these concessions and what it does to the conservative wing, clip five. I mean, look, he got the gavel, but he very much gave away his own power in the House. And so, you know, I think what we saw on the floor this week, it obviously is just a prelude to the chaos we're going to see. I mean, these conservatives, they were able to win powerful committee assignments. They were able to get what they wanted in terms of rules changes to make sure they could oust him at any moment. Because of their new position on the House Rules Committee, they're going to be able to make Republicans take really difficult votes that the leadership has long protected them from taking. <laughs> the leadership, meaning the previous leadership under Pelosi, you can't even take the vote. We're just here to tell you what you're going to do, basically. Kevin McCarthy, he gets through this grueling process. He finally gets enough votes on the 15th ballot. And then listen to what he said to reporters following that final vote, clip eight. But I do want to especially thank uh, President Trump. I don't think you should anybody should doubt his influence. He was with me from the beginning. Somebody wrote the doubt of whether he was there, and he was all in. He would call me and he would call others. And uh, he really was, I was just talking to him tonight, um, helping get those final votes. And what he's really saying really for the party and the country that we have to come together. We have to focus on the economy. We've got to focus, make our borders secure. We've got to do so much work to do, and he was a great influence to make that all happen. So thank you, President Trump. That's a pretty strong statement, giving Donald Trump credit when virtually no one else will. I mean, last week you heard stories. Once they were into the eighth and the ninth vote, they said, well, Trump endorsed McCarthy, so these are more losses. These are more losses for Trump. He lo he's losing bigly. He's losing all the time. And then look at how it ends. Again, he was finished back at the midterms, remember? And now he's there. You have images of Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's holding up her phone saying, look, it's from Donald Trump. Take it, take it. We need to get this resolved. Now, again, Kevin McCarthy has had a long history of being a rhino. But he's also, he's also been... I mean, the walls have closed in on him in the House, and he has given up a lot of his power, and he does acknowledge that Donald Trump got him to the finish line. 
that Donald Trump was instrumental. He's one of the few, as I say, in Congress. McConnell was just saying a few, a few weeks ago, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, he was just saying a few weeks ago that Trump's finished. Anybody that would invite these people over for lunch, he can't. He's not presidential material. Anybody that would sit down with so-and-so, he's disqualified. That's why it's just surprising to, to not see a little bit more fight in, uh, in you know, Hannity or, or Mark Levin or any of those people that just demanded compliance right from the start. If these are conservative commentators, well, the, 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 the House at least, the House of Representatives just got a fair bit more conservative as a result of these rules and how that factors in to the return of Donald Trump, I guess, remains to be seen. But it seems to be fairly significant. And the fact that there he is acknowledging, as, as others have also acknowledged, that it was Donald Trump who got them to the finish line. I just got to spend a few minutes on this sudden death syndrome because it's, if you're like me over the weekend, you keep seeing these headlines or this footage of people collapsing. You had the lady in Edmonton, the newscaster, She's out on location. She has what appeared to be a stroke on live TV. And then all of these other headlines, the, this rising MMA star, 18 years old, died suddenly. She died suddenly. 16-year-old flag footballer, a young lady, a girl, 16 years old. Another collapse, another sudden death. There was the 54-year-old actor. He was a big proponent of the vax. He, I mean, he talked about, hey, we need to get, forget about our freedoms. We need to get vaxxed. We need to trust the science. Well, he died suddenly over the weekend. 54, Old Dominion, basketball player, collapsed on the court. Right on the court over the weekend. I don't think he died. And there is good news, by the way, from that football player that collapsed on live TV last week or a week ago. I guess he's, he's showing quite a lot of improvement, so good for him. Another one, 17-year-old basketball player dies suddenly at home due to medical condition. All this happening all around us, and yet Fauci, he still, he still makes the rounds. And I mean, these, these talking heads practically worship the man. Listen to Fauci. This is a little bit of a, a collection of bits from an interview over the weekend, clip seven. And I can't tell you exactly how many minutes transpired, but it was less than 20 before people on Twitter began to say, well, clearly the vaccine caused his seizure. Right. What's your reaction to that? Well, my reaction is one of concern about- Isn't it horror, borderline, more than concern? Yeah, it, it's horror that misinformation and disinformation the thing as a public health person and as a physician and a scientist and my my identity as a physician is the thing that gets pained the most by that. Because what that means, Major, is that yet again, another conspiracy theory, complete nonsense, is going to have some people make a decision for themselves and their family not to get vaccinated, which may cost them their lives. And in some of these instances, as you well know, Dr. Fauci, there is some shred of evidence myocarditis was related to vaccines. It is a heart issue. I'm not a doctor. You are. That's a shred right. of evidence. A very small shred, right. 
What? And, and explain how then this can get conflated. Of course. In a very, very rare case, some of the mRNA vaccines can cause a self-limiting, almost invariably benign, inflammatory response in the heart, which generally resolves in a very short period of time. Overwhelmingly, COVID itself causes that in a dramatically higher rate than the relatively benign, mild myocarditis that you might have with a vaccine, which is very, very rare. When if you look at the film, it's clear that he had a very big, strong person's shoulder go into his chest, which clearly can cause a traumatic injury to the heart. And yet the conspiracy theory about this related to vaccine, you're right, it's spread all over. I like how he knows. He just knows it was from the hit, a hit to the chest, which happens about a million times every football season. All kinds of people getting hit in the chest. It's so, like I said last week, that is, I forget the name of that condition, that sudden impact. That's very rare. That's very rare. And what's not so rare anymore is, is when people, young people at that, in many cases, are just collapsing on the court or on the field or dying suddenly. There was a big, a pretty big splash this weekend in the Telegraph of, of London saying that, yes, these vaccines, they, they are related to this, this spread of myocarditis, heart problems, that sort of thing. But like he just said there, you know, the, the benefits, though, outweigh some of the risks. So go ahead and take the vax. Go ahead and get the vax. It's disgusting how vain and arrogant these officials are. Will worship how many more people, how many more young people are going to die suddenly and people like Tony Fauci act like it's completely normal. It's just completely normal for a 16-year-old, a healthy young lady out playing flag football and she just dies suddenly. It's just completely normal for all of these journalists to have a stroke or a brain hemorrhage or a heart attack on live TV. It happens all the time. Somebody sent me an article from Israel talking about just how the, the enormous amount. I mean, they're, they're early on one of the most vaxxed nations in the world. And it's a chart, basically, of the first jab, then the second one, then the third, the booster. Then you got to get the Omicron version. And it just went right down the chart to where in the first phase of it, millions and millions of people. I mean, Israel's only got nine million people, but millions took the jab. And then now it's down to a couple hundred thousand for some of these booster shots. If you can't get Israelis on board with another jab, then that means the truth, the truth is coming out and that, and that this narrative, this lie is being exposed. The lie that there's no problem whatsoever with the vaccine. It's perfect. Going back to that morning brief, read it, just a paragraph or two. This, this separation between what's real, reality, and what these people, in so many cases, these people in the legacy media actually report. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can send comments to td at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back.
This is KPCG-FM, and this is the Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world, providing every luxury, modern convenience, and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime, violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. This morning in, uh, in Bible class, we're back in action with classes again for the second semester here at Armstrong College. But we were reviewing some of that history in Acts 8 with respect to Simon Magus and the, the establishment of the great false church, that history so critically important, and Luke saw fit to, to get into quite a lot of detail on this Simon, who saw himself as some great man. He was the great leader of Samaria, just filled with vanity, haughtiness. He said that he bewitched the whole region. He used sorcery. And then he sees the disciples of Christ come through, and they're preaching the true gospel, and they're baptizing people, they're laying hands upon them, and then God's servants, the saints, are receiving the Spirit of God. And he saw that authority, that power, that these, the way he viewed it, he was just looking at it carnally. I mean, he actually did get baptized, but he was far from conversion. He didn't repent. He didn't come off of his high horse thinking he was some great one. He wanted to be great. He saw the apostles and said, I want that power. Well, people will look to me. Well, they'll follow me. He didn't have any humility. And when you look at the world today, when you, when you look at what's happening in Washington, D.C., when you look at what's happening in newsrooms all over, the, all over the world, you see a lot of vanity, a lot of haughtiness. People won't humble themselves. People are unaware of the fact that the Spirit of God, among other things, is the spirit of, of meekness and humility. Mr. Armstrong, in his autobiography, the autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong, he talks about his experience in the lead-up to baptism and the receipt of God's Holy Spirit, and how that by the end of it, he, was, he, see, he saw himself as a burned-out hunk of junk. God humbled him. 
God brought him down low. God brought him to the point where he, he felt like he was worthless, and he just gave his life to God. He just put his, his life in God's hands. He admits in his autobiography that before that point, he was, he was cocky. He was ambitious. He was arrogant, though. And God had to humble him. Look at what God did to the Apostle Paul in, in Acts 9. On his way to Damascus to persecute true Christians. And then God struck him down. God struck him blind. And he had to be led into Damascus by the hand. And he went into a three-day fast. And by the end of it, he was humble. He was much more humble. He was ready to let God guide him, to let God teach him. Notice what it says in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1. It says, All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Eternal swear unto your fathers. He's talking here, God, through Moses, to the Israelites, the Israelites of old. It says in verse 2, And you shall remember all the way which the Eternal your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to what? To humble you. To humble you and to prove you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. God led them, the ancient Israelites, he led them through the wilderness in order to humble them. Now, our journey, our spiritual journey in many ways is the same. I mean, here we are. Herbert Armstrong used to talk about uh, the spiritual wilderness of religious confusion. And, and it's all over this earth, the influence of that universal religion that Simon Magus started. You can read much more about that in our, in our booklet, The True History of God's True Church. Not sure if I have a cut. Here it is. It's right here on the table. The True History of God's True Church, the 800 number, if you, this is a powerful, powerful book uh, containing history that you just don't see anywhere else. You don't read about it or study it anywhere else because Satan's blotted out so much of it. The 800 number, 1-866-930-3024. But our journey in this spiritual wilderness, there's tests and trials, but they're all meant to keep us humble and meek and submissive toward God so that he can lead us. He won't force us along. Romans 8, 14 says that. We've got to be led by the Spirit. And it says in verse 3, it'll just continue in Deuteronomy 8, And he humbled you, and he suffered you to hunger, and he fed you with manna which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the eternal does man live. Every single word. God just wants us to be out there looking to him, trusting him, relying on him for spiritual food and sustenance. I mean, there's plenty of examples in the autobiography, even about Mr. Armstrong relying on God for physical sustenance and food, for, for, for physical things. Because he was down and out. I mean, destitute. And God provided so many faith building accounts in that autobiography. We haven't plugged that um, very often in recent weeks. If you, again, if you don't have a copy of the autobiography of Herbert W. Armstrong, that 800 number I just gave to you, 1-866-930-3024. 
Verse 4, it says, Your raiment waxed not upon, uh, old upon you, neither did your foot swell these forty years. It says, You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the eternal God chastens you. God treats us like children because that's who we are. He's our, he's our heavenly father, and we are sons of God. Verse 6 says, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the eternal your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the eternal your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig tree, all these blessings, the land of promise, the fruitful and abundant land. It says here, verse uh, nine, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may uh, dig brass. It says, when you have eaten and are full, then shall you bless the eternal your God for the good land which he gave to you. Make sure that you, like Romans 1 says, make sure that you continue to give God thanks. To thank him, there's trials and tests here and there, but there's blessings and prosperity. Don't let that help you or rather take you into a place of complacency, of laziness, spiritually speaking. Notice the warning, verse 11. It says, Beware that you forget not the Lord your God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments, his statutes. Verse, uh, statutes. verse 12 says, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then, notice verse 14, this is what happens. This is what happens generally when we've had it so good for so long. Think of the riches and the wealth and the prosperity our nations have enjoyed for decades and people begin to see it unraveling. Everything's unraveling now. And so there's more cause for concern. There's more people calling upon God to intervene. But why can't we do that when, when times are going well, when times are prosperous, when there's peace and prosperity? Well, it says here in verse 14 that once you're spoiled in this way, you've received the blessings of God for so long. It says, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. That's generally what happens when we have it so good for so long. Our hearts get lifted up. And it says in Romans 1, God just gives, the, if they don't give God thanks and credit and acknowledge him, he just gives them over to worthless, vain reasonings. That's what happens when the heart is lifted up. Notice Galatians chapter 5. We've been blessed with so much wealth and abundance in the United States. Of course, Great Britain, the greatest empire this world has ever seen. Think of the prosperity that God bestowed upon that little island nation, that empire. Think about all of the. This is not something that's supposed to be discussed today, but think about the many nations that, around the world, I mean, that received blessings and benefits as a result of the British Empire, the wealth that spread all over the earth, among other things, all the good that the British Empire brought to those various colonies. But look at the way we view that history today. And look at the spirit behind this movement, really, to just blot out all things Britain, all things America. Notice Galatians 5, 
This is verse 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Verse 23 continues, Meekness, temperance against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, the Moffat translation says, the harvest of the Spirit. I mean, this is, these are the qualities or characteristics that God is harvesting through us. If our minds are yielded to Him and to His power, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, we're filled with the Spirit of meekness, humility. That doesn't mean we can't be confident in Christ. We're walking by faith, and we've got to be bold Christians. But God expects for his children to be humble and meek, teachable, little children. Notice Matthew 5. Just I think I have time for a couple more verses. Matthew chapter 5 and, uh, and verse 1. You're familiar with these Verses, I'm sure, verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was uh, set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The Amplified Version labels the poor in spirit as the humble, rating themselves as insignificant. You, you look over at 1 Corinthians 1 or 1 Corinthians 3, I mean, God really has called the lowly of this world. We, we aren't to stay there. He's training us to be royalty, to be the bride of Jesus Christ. But meekness and humility, you don't see that quality of character in this world today, this world filled with vanity and haughtiness. Verse 4, it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek, the humble. Those that rate themselves as insignificant and yet who are filled with the power of God, who are followers of Christ. God says they will inherit the earth. That's all we have time for on today's show. We appreciate you joining us on the program. The email address, tdatthetrumpet.com. Thank you for joining us again, and we'll see you tomorrow.